You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Happy Friday. It's time for chaos. Quick question for the group. Are any of you very good drawers? It's a hard word to say. Drawers. Is that the word? Or artists, I guess you'd say. But a drawer. Can you draw? I can't draw. You're specifically the art of drawing, not painting or sculpting. Right. I'm talking about just like, here's a pen and a pen. Uh, paper, go wild. You can draw yeah. something cool, Nora. What can you draw? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I mean, I, I used to take a lot of art classes, and I I always did, in like growing up, did, I had a lot of art classes, and then theater and choir, and then as I got older, it was like I didn't have time for all three, and one had to take the boot, and I was like, I could always draw stuff on my own, but then I never did. I so, I, but I'm not, I'm not bad. What do you do? Pastoral of, landscapes? Practice. Still lifes? Nudes? Um, I like portraits. I like, I like faces. Portraits. Yeah. Um, do you, are you good at like the whole body? Like you can do like, I, I, like everything or are you just like head faces? Is that your thing? Uh, I'm, I'm okay with, with the whole body thing, but I like, I like faces. Faces. Yeah. That's just, that's alchemy to me. How anyone can draw anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, to draw. yeah, you're a big draw. Rob, uh, Ross, you're a, you're a bit of a cartoonist, if you will. Was that yeah. what you would call yourself, or did I just insult you? Yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> my work hangs in galleries, Troy. I'm an artiste. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I like to, I love to draw cartoons and, and doodle and, and draw all kinds of things. Yeah. When did you start getting into that? Because it looks like it's something that you kind of do, like a, a, a new, new age Gary Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, high praise indeed. And I um, I started when I was a little kid. Like I liked, I, I was just. I was one of those kids that grew up in a household without a TV for a long time. Mm. So like <laughs> print and audio media made a very big impression on my kid brain. Yeah. And I was very big into newspaper comics. Um, I was a, lost a huge, fan, huge fan of Gary Larson, big fan of Bill Watterson, big fan of Burke breathed like all, all the, all the hits. And, and so just imitating them, like me and my little dork friends drew all kinds of old comics when we were growing up. Do you remember oh, getting the fun. remember getting the Sunday paper? It was a big deal. Kids oh, yeah. today, they want they don't care. But I mean, my God, I remember it was like <laughs> ah, Dick Tracy, Garfield. Yeah, you'd um, have and you'd have the order already figured out. Like I, I would settle into like a routine. It's like you oh, save yeah. Garfield for last because you know that's going to be a banger. <laughs> and then you sort of, and then Calvin and Hobbes, and you kind of you know you start with. Some of the, you start yeah. with Family Circus because yeah. burn Family Circus. <laughs> really. uh, That's just a time passer. Yeah, do Mary Worth and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, get them all. Don't have any idea what's going on. Yeah, work your way through Broomhilda. Um, <laughs> touch base with Mutz for a little touch yeah. of whimsy. See how Andy, see how Andy Cap is gonna beat his wife or whatever's gonna happen in that one. And drunken sod Andy Cap. Yeah, and, couldn't and, make that one today, Andy Cap. Uh, you know what's funny is great hot we, fries though. Yeah, excellent <laughs> hot fries, um, and they're cheap. They're like ninety nine cents a bag. Uh, 
you would read the ones that you didn't even like just because we were so starved for content. Yeah. I remember I would read the ones and not like Mary Worth. I have no idea what's going on. That's so funny. <laughs> Um, uh, Kate, you're, you're obviously you play an artist on TV. Do you have uh, any? Uh, are you a drawer? Well, I have an art degree, and I have drawn All naked right. people before. All right. Hey, we got a real life in the pocket. Yeah, well, it's like what? I dabble, I guess. Uh, well, professionally, I don't <laughs> but know. But that could mean anything. You, uh, you could be like a Jackson Pollock painter. Can you draw a face like Nora? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty out of practice now. Um. I'd probably do an okay job. Ooh, those are fighting words. <laughs> Let's have a face off. <laughs> I, c- I can see. She'll draw the face and I I'll draw the body. <laughs> Sweet. I'm, right, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm good with doing what I do right now. <laughs> draw Ross. I, uh, I, I will pay any price for Ross is for the, the cartoonist. <laughs> if, if, if you, if, if, um, Nora does the face, uh, Kate does the body. <laughs> And then I'll draw like a skateboard that they're on or something. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I'll draw the sun with lines um, coming off well, of it in the background. It's got sunglasses Sweet. on. Yeah. 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 That's always fun. <laughs> totally tubular. Uh, yeah. So Kate, you, 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 what made you decide to go into art? Was that um, just your thing? That was just you were passionate about? You're like, I want to, I want to be an artist. I'm going to go study art. Passions. Well, like my passion is just like having a good time with life. But like, I hear that. I, I applied you. to college to either be go to like a science track or an art track. My physics teacher wrote my recommendation for college, um, and I just end up doing art instead because I got accepted. I was surprised I got accepted on my portfolio. Hmm. Um, so I was like, might as well. And that was, I mean, I'm here now, but like, it was a poor choice for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever designed, like, drawn any of your own tattoos? I know you're a big tattoo enthusiast. Mm-hmm. You've been like, here, do this. Oh, no. No? Nope. Okay. I come up with some of the ideas, like, hey, I want a peacock galaxy. And I go to an artist the way that I like how they draw. And I'm like, you do it how you do. And I'll love it. Um, yeah. Nice. The classic nice. peacock galaxy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now I want, a, I want a peacock galaxy. Um, it reminds me of that, like those weird AI things that you see on Google. <laughs> those are pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The dolly. Um. My, uh, my mother-in-law lives uh, out in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and they live like adjacent to about 20 farms. And there's this one peacock just kind of roams around like he owns the joint. And sometimes she'll just open the door to her cottage and peacock's right there. It's like, ah! Uh, they're, very, they're very jarring animals, <laughs> let alone a whole galaxy of When them. you're not expecting one, yes. Right. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. Nobody likes an unexpected peacock. No. Uh, I want to see it coming before it prances and preens. <laughs> Uh, Rob, you're not, not an artist. I, I think you fell into my I, camp. I was. I feel like I peaked when I was uh, 12 or 13. I, right. I had a good eye for copying things. Not like putting it on top of, but like looking at it and then drawing not it. Not tracing, but, I, but yeah. Yeah, yeah so my big, uh, my big collection was of uh, three Street Fighter II characters that mm. I really looked like they did in the magazine. Who you know, were like your Johnny go-tos? Ken, Chun-Li, and Blanca. Those okay. are the three. So those, yeah. I'm, I'm not taking some work. Um but, you know, I was just looking at the, you know, sort of the art that was in the magazine and I just drew it and then drew the logo every time and mm-hmm. uh, put them up on my wall. And, of course, my parents, being my parents, kept it for 30 years. So <laughs> it's still on their front. <laughs> have them somewhere. Yeah, they're like, this is, you know, because my mother, I was an only child. So and Troy uh, knew my mom so he can vouch for this where she's just like, everything you do is the best. 
You know, it's just like, these Aww. could be in a museum. So I don't think they're going to put a 12-year-old's Ken up on the wall. I love how supportive that is. So, oh, but, to a, but, but Nora, the problem is it was like to a fault, right? Like, anytime I was, I was, I had a crush on a girl and she was not down. Uh, you know, it was just like, did the, did the like, it's because I would rather be friends move, which is the classy move. Uh, my mom would be like, she's lying. She's like, she's like, well, you're the, I mean, you are, she obviously does like you, but she's not ready right now. So oh. that's how that is. You know, so it wasn't like admit, I, what a special boy you are. Yeah. It wasn't like she was, she wasn't encouraging me to like stand outside her house at night or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but just, uh, but just would not let me believe that there was a chance that uh, a, a woman would not be interested in five foot two, 110 pound. Tiny Kirkovich. It's uh, like being chaotically supportive. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, between you her, her your Chun Li. Between her and uh, like the romantic comedies of of the eighties, my impression of what uh, dating was was completely skewed. Really? Yeah, they they were very unrealistic movies. Um, in retrospect, yeah, I wish I could draw. I remember I was I was really into comic books as a kid. It wasn't like my main jam, but enough so that I would get that book, like how to draw comics, like Marvel, and you'd get you'd, you'd the thing where you have to draw the oval and oh, then yeah. make it three dimensional and then like erase the lines so it looks like a bar. I just couldn't. I I couldn't get it. I don't have that that muscle that that bone. I hope you one of my kids. You have to train the muscle. You have to train your muscle. Or those weird, yes. Or those weird exercises in my drawing classes where you draw with your right hand and then you do one picture where you draw with your left hand, and sometimes that picture is better because your right hand, if you're right-handed, thinks it knows what to do, but your left hand listens to your brain more and Uh you go slower. Son of a gun! Anybody left-handed in the group here? I am. Ooh, get out! I didn't peg you for a lefty. Mm -hmm. Little southpaw, Nora. Okay. Yep, yep. Sinister Nora Yes. It all, it all checks now. Now <laughs> things are falling into place. You know, left-handed people die young. That's not no, true. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so rude. Yeah. I make sure of it. I, I, I won't be happy until you're all gone. Um, yeah. No, that's very cool. Well, good for you guys that can draw. And for those of us who can't, stop making us feel bad, Kate. And Troy, you know, a time period when, when cartoons and newspaper cartoons were maybe at the peak of their popularity was the 1920s. Wow. When, when maybe the most popular character in, in all of like pop culture was Crazy Cat. Crazy Cat? I got to Google yeah. Crazy Cat. What's his story? Oh, Crazy Cat is, I'm obsessed. Crazy Cat is a comic strip from, it ran uh, in the early 20th century. It was by a gentleman named George Harriman and it was hugely popular. And the premise of it can be described in one sentence, and it doesn't give you a clue of how elaborate and, and beautiful it is. It's a love triangle. Crazy Cat is in love with a mouse named Ignatz. Ignatz hates Crazy Cat and every day throws a brick at them. And Officer Pup is a police dog who loves Crazy Cat and throws Ignatz in jail. And that's the whole premise of the strip. <laughs> Tale as old as time. Very simple. Uh, mm-hmm. Crazy cat. It's spelled with a K, I noticed. Uh, Two Ks, yeah. Crazy cat. Yeah, I just Googled crazy cat and then pressed enter and was like, oh, no. And I just see a bunch of images of cats making weird <laughs> Yeah, I saw a cat with the body of a human dressed in a suit. And it was very unnerving. <laughs> it was just like smoking a pipe. Um, <laughs> okay. I would confuse this with Fritz the cat. Uh, yeah, very similar kind of sort of and, and era too. Um, 
Fritz the Cat. Um, was it Fritz the Cat? That was like the Ralph Bakshi crazy. Or, well, Fritz the Cat is adult, R. Crumb. Right? You might be thinking of Felix the Cat. Uh, who's, the, who's the earlier one? Fritz the Felix Cat. The cat. Was, Whenever he gets in a fix, he just reaches into his bag of tricks. Felix the Cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat. I think this. I think the cartoon cat market is saturated. Too many cats. <laughs> I feel like there's been a break. Oh, I see. Ralph Bakshi was a played Pig Cop One in Fritz the Cat. You are correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, Ross. Uh, Fritz the Cat was was pornography. I believe it was cartoon pornography. Yes. Uh, did we mention so, Heathcliff? Crumb car- comic strip. We did. Oh yeah, Heathcliff. We did Heathcliff. Now, okay. Heathcliff was a Garfield knockoff, right? Well, yeah, just, the, just the yeah the GoBots to the Lobo- Garfield's Transformers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was I the one to terrorize the neighborhood. <laughs> you would eat fish by dipping them into his mouth and pulling out bones. Yeah, yeah. Gang. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the street gang. Uh-huh. And nowadays, the comic strip of Heathcliff is an exercise in surreal insanity, like. The the current actual Heathcliff comics are like bafflingly strange. Really worth, worth a look. Wow, the like Heath kind of like okay. resurgence in the way that you're like, is someone really is the person drawing this like? At are they at the wheel of what is going on? It is very very odd. <laughs> I love seeing. Uh, you can find like Garfield strips where they took Garfield's thought bubbles out, so it just makes oh, yeah. John Arbuckle look like an insane person. Oh, oh, yeah. I've talked about this on another show. There's Garfield minus Garfield. It's just John. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like it's just, just, it, he just seems like existential angst. <laughs> <laughs> They're really, really good. They're on Twitter. Uh, well, I, I missed the opportunity to segue from the 1920s back to our story, but I'm going to do it anyways. First, though, I want to talk about sanity because we uh it happened last week i'm surprised it hasn't happened earlier i think part of me thought well we have some time but old vaughn was right on edge i want to talk about the sanity mechanic real quickly and then i want to uh go over some errata from last week's episode uh i'll spoil that part for you uh carter is also indefinitely insane because carter lost one-fifth of his sanity, uh, his current sanity last week, and there was just so much going on with that moment with Vaughn, we forgot to address that. Um, so, let's talk about sanity real quick. I sent you guys uh, this flow chart, which is pretty great. Um, someone made. I would give them props, but I don't know who it was. Um, when you are, and this is, and the reason I want to go over this is this going to come up time and time again, and it's a very uh, complex, elegant system with a lot of like, hey, let's just Let's figure out what this horrible thing is going to be together. Not me just being like, you've got this affliction now. It's a very like give and take system. When I say give me a sanity rule, everybody rules it. If you fail it, oftentimes you get take zero. Sometimes you take one or, or less than that. Um, but if, that's if you succeed, if you fail the roll, you take some sanity damage. You guys should be rolling your own sanity damage. I shouldn't roll it. Um, it's a lot more dangerous because you roll it. That's what you get. Um, but that is what should happen. Now, if you take more than five sanity points in one hit, that's when you wrote, make the intelligence roll. You, that's the roll you want to fail. If you fail at that roll, you're fine. For that now. happened to me. Yes. If yeah. you succeed at that roll, you become indefinitely insane. Uh, if you take more than one-fifth in one day, you don't even get the intelligence roll. You just go straight to indefinitely insane. And what happens first is a bout of madness. Now, that happened with Vaughn last week. I just said you go fetal. There's a million different things you can do. I can roll randomly on a table to see what that bout of madness is, or I can just pick something, or you and I can work it out together. 
But oftentimes it takes you out of play when it's happening in real time, when there's combat rounds. You're pretty much going to be out for 1d10 rounds. Let's say you're all split up all over this pyramid and one of you was facing something awful, but it wasn't really happening in combat rounds. Well, there's a different table for that. You may just end up running out of the pyramid and be found like a mile down the way by your people later. It's not like 1d10 rounds. It's more of like a something awful happens, but like the rest of the party may not know, or they may see you running and can try to stop you. But the point is something like uh, temporary insanity. It's gone after 10 hours. Indefinite insanity lasts months. And so it's going to take treatment in with like a, a psychoanalyst or a therapist to try and remove that insanity uh, from you. And God help you if you start getting phobias and manias, you have to roll to try and remove those phobias and manias. And what they do is, let's say uh, uh, last week, instead of having you go fetal, I said, you know what, you're going to have a phobia that uh, you always think someone's behind you, okay? Mm. Now, most of the time, that wouldn't be a problem. But if anyone ever, like, attacked you from behind, that whole combat, you would take a penalty die because you were being faced with your phobia uh same thing with mania if you had a mania where you like were an alcoholic and you had to drink anytime you didn't indulge in that mania at all times you would take a penalty die when trying to do things so it's a very complex system um when we finish this part of the adventure there'll be a, a chance to regain some of this sanity and hopefully go past your initial starting sanity um but once you go to zero sanity it's as good as dead. You are no longer a playable character in the game. Nor, I'm sorry. I, I think I steamrolled over you there. No, you didn't steamroll. Uh, I just wanted to say this when you were finished with your uh, your explanation, which is very helpful. Um, I can't believe we were not sponsored by like Talkspace or any of those like therapy apps. I feel like that would be kind of appropriate. For- mm-hmm. You know, we do have one. Uh, what is it? Is it Feels? I can't remember. Yeah, what is <laughs> Can we, no, get, can we get a sponsor? Oh, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is one of there our we go. sponsors, yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Can, we, can we get a sponsor for yeah, this? Should... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it can get very dark, it's, it's depending on how much we want to play it. But it really should be a give and take. And then sometimes, uh, you know, when, when things get really bad, I may have to drop the hammer. But here's the added wrinkle about being indefinitely insane. Now, any time. Before you get to rest and recover, anytime you lose even one point of sanity, you have an immediate bout, bout of madness. So once you go oh. indefinitely insane, you're on the brink. You cannot be faced with another insanity without going. So if you go early in an adventure and you break and you know that you're going to have, you're not going to have time to go commit yourself, you're going to constantly be having bouts of madness. So what may end up happening, if it happens early enough in a campaign, you may need to go retire that character to go seek help. Not unlike what uh, we do in Blades in the Dark. You kind of like put them on the shelf and then bring in a new character while your character gets mentally stable enough to come back. So it's it's very interesting the way it plays out. These characters are not meant to be played forever. Um, So be thinking of backup characters uh, or i'll just hand you one and you can reskin it um so i want to say that so rob yes carter sadly he is also indefinitely insane uh-huh. and so i'm just gonna give you a phobia instead okay. of having you you know hand off the chess piece um when you were faced with this uh 
animated mummy, as it was in the book, this the larva inside that brought it to life. And that is really what sent you over the edge. I think you took Max Sand or no, something close to it. Like I six. took six, I think. And then yeah, luckily cool. passed my intelligence thing. Right. And that would I didn't even need to have you roll that because you had already gone over one twentieth in one day. So uh you have this phobia that you are afraid something is going to crawl up under your mask. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And really is only going to come into play if it comes into play. Otherwise it's, it's just a, it's just a part of your life right now until you get it looked at. Um, and you're both on edge. You guys are underneath the ruins of this pyramid. Augustus Larkin is gone. You confronted him. Something within him uh, came back at you, tried to tear open space and time to let some horrible creature through. But by killing Larkin, you not only closed that rift, you uh, released him from whatever was possessing him. Of course, that didn't stop his severed head from letting you know that uh, whatever was possessing him will see you again. Yeah, not uh, cool. <laughs> before the end of the world. You go underground and... You climb through a pit of dead bodies, carcasses that are either super fresh or have been there a long, long time, desiccated. Victims, most likely, of these Kari Siri. You go downstairs and you find a chamber with these two Kari Siri in it. The man and the woman that you saw when you were walking to the pyramids. They went up and vomited something into the crack at the top of the pyramid and then crawled through this same... Uh, pit of bodies to go to this room and sleep it off. You kill them in their sleep. Burn them. Chop them up so they will not rise again. You then walk down the hall and as I mentioned, you see a a bundle of rags that is no longer, not a bundle of rags, it's a skeleton. It comes to life! Fight ensues. You take care of that. Then you come around and around and you find this filth pool. It's a great image here I'll show you on, uh, I mean, I have no less than 300 images loaded into Roll20 here, but I found it. Um, check out Roll20 if you want to see kind of an image from the book of this filth pool. There's Ooh. a crack in the wall that seems to be leaking this white, viscous substance into the ground, forming this pool that is uh, blocking further advance uh, down the hallway, the pool is just like moving strangely, and it 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 smells rotten, like everything is smelled here. But you do see, and it's even right here in the photo, just under that crack, the piece of the uh, barrier that was ripped out, and you guys have the the ward uh, that Jackson Elias took that you can replace um, this. Uh, you can replace it right here. The problem is, it's going to involve dealing with this pool of filth. You'll kind of have to get right into it to deal with it. So talk to me about what you want to do here. Can we, okay. Just thinking of this whole past experience with things uh, needing to be lit on fire. Can this pool of weird whatever it is, is it flammable? Can we check to see if it lights on fire? Sure. Um... What, I, what, I, I don't what know if, you, we're, if we should. I'm asking everybody yeah. else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can maybe get a, little, to, get a little spoonful and see if we could light it yeah. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think? 
I definitely don't think we should light it just because I think that like that that whole wall like might be full of. I, th- I feel like this is the vomit. Does anybody the have vomit a spoon? Is flammable. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it could be vomit. We could use like our machetes and like grab a little bit. Yeah, do a little. Yeah, dip. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a fun dip. Like there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so someone wants to take a machete, kind of stick it in, and then what are you going to light the the machete on fire? Yeah. yeah just see if we can we done it introduce. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's not our first time, Troy. <laughs> you guys love not a good our first machete. fire machete, Rodeo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, I mean, I don't know about you guys. The only reason I ever got into TTRPGs is to light fucking melee shit on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you're in Peru, make sure you light a machete on fire. All right, who wants to stick that uh, that thing in this gross pool? I could. All right. Margot edges her way up to the edge here where it's just kind of boiling over. You can't tell, like, is it just a, a puddle or is it a pit? It it's It's unclear. But you very quickly find out that it seems to have eroded the passageway because you stick in and the machete goes in and down and it shouldn't. Mm. There should be floor there. Um, deep. So you, you stick it in maybe halfway, you pull it out and it's just dripping this white rancid looking substance. And then you light it and <laughs> it catches flame oh, very geez. quickly. Whoa. Mm. Black smoke. Bottle cap. (laughs) All right. Well, we figured something out. Bonus die. Uh, Yeah, it is. It appears to be very, very flammable. Hmm. What does it mean if it's flammable? Oh. Hmm. Now, when we did that, did it did it burn away from the knife? Like, did it evaporate, or is it still there? It did. It, like, it lit and disappeared, and now there's just black scorch marks on the blade and a thin wisp of black smoke smoke coming off the point. Hmm. Hear me out. (laughs) Uh, I think we should all take, like, a lot of steps back and try to, like, extinguish, like, light it on fire to get rid of it before we put this thing back, Maybe. The only issue there could be is if it lights up the crack and then goes up, and then we end up trapping ourselves in a in a burning inferno of a temple. You know what I mean? Like, who knows where all these other things are going? I can see how that is uh, unfavored. Yeah, but it's up quite a bit of the air in this tunnel. Yeah, or goes Mm. back to its source and sends everything up in a massive conflagration. mm. I feel like we shouldn't touch this thing. Yes. Especially now that we see it seems to be more than knee-deep. So what are you suggesting, Jackson says? I mean, maybe we can go around and hopefully we don't run into any rag mummies um, because maybe we can run out faster that way and not have to run all the way around. The space Troy that the missing piece is in is, is right over the the pool, right? I mean, it's not like the other side. It's not on the other side. It's smack dab. 
Yeah, it's right over the middle of it, and and unfortunately the map isn't really to scale. Remember, this is the hallways are ten feet wide, so you're not taking up the whole hallway. When you fought the mummy, you could fight side yeah. by side and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the point of that is is the crack is inaccessible, uh, and not the crack so much as the the broken piece of the ward without getting into this pit or getting can, across. Can I Devising. do? Can I? Oh, sorry, Nora. Were we gonna say something? Mm, yeah. uh, just, just. Uh, I was gonna ask: Are we blocked away from the room that had the treasure in it? Like, are there preferably, or like, are, are there things that we could theoretically tie to our feet to, like, you know, you like you're a or kid and you put buckets on your feet and yeah. walk on them, like, just oh, like to keep our and, uh, yeah, keep our feet planks or of- things that you could kind of. St- bridge the pool with to stand yeah. atop of. Yes. A bridge would probably work better because I put my machete in there and it went all the way down. So perhaps a bridge. Yeah, yeah. The, where where uh, Margot stuck that machete and you worry about um, how much you know makeshift stilt you would need to make to not still go into the pool. You just don't know how deep it is. Um, but yeah, there's certainly stuff back in that room uh, that you could make like a, a door uh, that we of. could lay across if it, mm-hmm. if that room had a door. Like, there's enough stuff in there. Tables you could make. It's going to yeah. require a, a roll um, yeah. to make to try and fashion it across this pool. But let's say you go back over there and you guys are just grabbing anything that looks like it can uh, be used to. To, uh, make a little bridge and then you bring it back over um, and then I just need someone to make a uh, mechanical repair roll and remember if uh, if you fail that you do have the option to push it um, if you just explain to me what you're doing differently of course on a push a failed push bad things could happen my skill good that at is- fabrication Cod is good at lies I've got, I could lie about being good at fabrication. No, not uh, good enough. A, I have a 10 in mechanical repair. I'm assuming that's Same. the case. As do I. Oh, you know what? Let's uh, let's do our luck roll, our daily luck roll. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Ooh, yes. Maybe this will change what you uh, end up doing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I still can't believe, was it the first roll, Margot, beat a one? Because you rolled an 11 and could spend 10 luck. Like, no one makes a success on a 1% chance. Uh, <laughs> all right, so yeah, you, this is a roll you want to fail, and then you get 1d10 luck back. Oh, <gasps> I failed! You're a failure! Oh, <laughs> no. I got an 86. 86. Ooh. So let me roll that luck. In our uh, Pathfinder game, that means the best possible thing happens. Uh, it's a d10, yeah? D10. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Ross, what about you? Um, I just, I just barely s- succeeded. I'm so sorry. Okay, you look sad. My luck is running dry in this <clears throat> adventure. I 13 under 35. Oh, yeah. Save that roll. Ugh. What about you, Rob? Uh, I, I happily failed it, and I got eight. Eight, great. And Nora, what'd you end up with? I, I ended up with four more points. Your drink looks really good. Thank you. <laughs> it is tasty. <laughs> Better than my lemon berry kombucha. That's my favorite flavor. Because it's, it's the best good, flavor. It is the best flavor. Uh, Can't confirm. Oh boy, another Stop. session derailed by right. booch talk. <laughs> um, I'm just. I'm gonna keep pumping them till like, they sponsor us. Uh, I okay. got a lot of luck to spend. Right. I only have ten in mechanical, but if we've all got low mechanical repair, I'm willing to. I'm willing to see how much luck I could spend on this. We'll like roll the dice. Right. Does anybody have higher than a 10 in mechanical repair? No. Um, okay. Um, you seem to be the most confident, Mr. Braun. So I, I dare say I am confident in 
your abilities? I, I, I would love to say that I'm confident in them myself, but as of the moment, I can't pull up my character sheet. It disappeared on me, even though I'm trying to pull it up right now. Look inward. <laughs> it, like, it went away, and I don't know why it's not coming back up again when I click on my name. Um, I've got you here. What do you, you just want checking mechanical repair? I know sure. it's 10 points and I got 74 yeah, luck. So let's, let's roll this. Do it. Oh man. I'm not going to need it. I rolled a 20. Yes. A 20? Yes. Take it all the way down. Yes. So I'm going to spend 10 points of luck. All and right, we're going to so... haul some planks over this thing, <laughs> over this nice. possibly some monster vomit. Some golden planks. Unbelievable. All right. Bridge so. on the Ooze River. Here we go. <laughs> Bridge on the River Die. Oh! Um, you use all this shit and you make a, a bridge. Uh, Feyruz is jack of all trades. You're, you're like, hold on, let me just make a bridge real quick. <laughs> you get this going and, and you get it out there and you're so close to this water and it almost looks like it's bubbling from time to time. Like maybe something is breathing in there. Um, you just see this movement writhing from time to time. Mm-hmm. It almost like seems to rise up as you're just inches away from it. Uh, you know, pounding things together and checking to make sure they're sturdy. Uh, but eventually you create this little makeshift bridge over this gap and you're standing on it and it just it feels a little unsteady, but you feel like it'll hold long enough for you to try and repair this ward. Right. So you get there and you see the the hole is is very dirty there's there's layers of filth and limestone that have been caked by this white substance um so you're gonna need to clean that out uh and then you can try and just hammer or wedge it into place so so talk me through uh how you do it all right well who's uh, going out there uh I thought I was going out there, but if somebody else would like to go, it's, oh, it's up, totally up oh, to you. That works for, for me. Uh, um, I think you may... Uh, Von, Von... Is maybe a little bit more reckless than you've seen him. It's like, happy to, happy to oblige if no, you are. Uh, oh, well. done, you've, done, you've done so well with the uh, bridge building. Uh, happy, to, happy, to, happy to go out there, sport. I, I, I absolutely appreciate your help, but uh, I, I think... If somebody would like to hand me the uh, the the what is it? Is like the is it a bar? Is it a panel? Yeah, little, uh, it's like a golden rod. Yeah, it's a golden sheet. Um, I'll bring up the photo, but yeah, uh, Jackson has it in his so, bag. He reaches and he's like, "I'm glad I took this thing." Uh, before she takes it from him, Feyruz will take off uh, like this overcoat, like a like a linen light linen overcoat she had, and she'll use that to try to wipe away whatever excess is on the wall. Okay. You see um, the linen, like, dissolve as it hits the more fresh white substance. It, like, dissolves, so you turn it real quick, and you're just scouring out this hole. So gross. But eventually you, you clear it all away, and you think you can slide it in there and just kind of <coughs> knock it into place. All right. Carter's like, you're doing great! Wish me luck! So good! And and uh, Vaughn leans over to uh, um, uh, Fraulein Sauer. It's like he's doing an excellent job, and no need to worry if things go cock up. She can always come back. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Carter, Carter's like, Hurry. I think, Carter's like, I think someone's wrong with Vaughn. He's being a little weird. And then he just turns and faces the wall. <laughs> We're oh. all doing so well. I forgot I'm on the side with both of you who are both insane. He's just facing the wall, so going, you're doing great. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Famous last words. All right, uh, let's give it a go. Hands it over to you, and you just place it on there. And uh, what are you using? Do you have like a, a tool, or you just? Uh, I probably just shoot? the the back. I have that that medium sized knife, so I'll probably use the the butt end of like the just just to hammer it in there. Right, and so you're hammering away, and they're all watching you, and the bridge that you're standing on is just going from from every time you slam against the wall uh, a piece of it like splinters off mm. after you get the first edge in and you have to like re-steady yourself and then you just keep dun 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 hammering it in and eventually it's on there and it looks obviously like it was once broken um, but the ward has been replaced if Nyara's myths about this place are true, then whatever evil seeped out of here may very well be contained. But when you get that into place, I don't know if you were waiting for something to happen or hear a voice or see anything different. Nothing seems changed. Where are the where are like the sparkles and the in the uh, the fairies or whatever is supposed to happen? I thought there'd be a little more fanfare than this. Yes. Yes, I dare say it's a bit of an anticlimax. Is the puddle still gurgling at all? Oh yeah. Um. So she's like, Pharaohs, I think you should come um back quickly. This puddle looks alive. I absolutely jump back, and maybe we should light it on fire and run. Yes. Yes. Um, now ma- ma- is the time. Yes. I'm thinking, like, because, like, part of it came out, like, even though maybe whatever is behind the wall is now bound in, this part outside needs to be dealt with. If it even works, yeah. All right. So, you want to try and light it and then run? Or, um, if... Or if you'd, um, care to make good your... Um, your departure, I'm more than willing to stay behind and light it. Be right at your heels. I feel yeah, that bad. works too. <laughs> I feel like it'd be, it'd be taking advantage of him in this moment because it's like, what if he stays behind and lights it and lingers too long because of his death thoughts right now? Hmm. Well, it'll always come back. We all put a hand on the lighter and throw it together. Yes. <laughs> so Margo goes, if you want to make that sacrifice, okay, but as soon as you throw in the burning, whatever we give you, run, run. Don't wait. Maybe we throw a matchstick. Yeah. 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 From yes. a distance. Yeah. All right. So I guess we give you a matchstick and right. we start heading out. And as we do, I say, remember, run. Don't wait. Don't linger. I don't right. know how to bring you back. Something... Something deep in Carter is, feels weird about this situation. Something feels like... Carter's like, stop, stop, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm having these, uh... Oh, these feelings. Um, 
what's it called when um, you know the thing that you want to do is probably not the right thing to do, but you're gonna, you might do it anyway. What is that? It starts with a G. It's like guilt. Yes, yes. You're feeling that right now. I am feeling guilt for the first time. Situation. Should we leave him? I don't. I don't know. And then Carter just turns to nobody else and goes, "I don't. What do you think?" (laughs) He doesn't know. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be. I'm I'm not gonna let. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hang it back. This is weird. I. 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 I have no. uh, I have no desire or inclination to burn myself up. But if only one of us needs to throw a bloody match at this nauseous pool, then. Okay. I, 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 I don't know how to to describe to you what what I know that uh, what's been kindled in me, Mister Tillinghast, is hope. Don't you feel some sense of hope, knowing that death is not the end? Well, you're frightening me. That there is a way. We've seen it with our own eyes. So. Huh. I look hopelessly at Feyre's. <laughs> okay, all right, let's do it. Let's get a little bit of a head start, but let's keep an eye on him. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, well, I have no fear. I, I shan't burn myself up. Well, in the moment he throws throw at you, and run. Yes, please. All right, so you all back up around the corner, maybe, <laughs> and let Vaughn step up and just. And yeah, throw and turn tail and. Run. So, Vaughn looks back at all of you. Carter's talking to the wall. And then you just light a match and you throw it. And we just see it, like, spin in the air. Slowly make its way towards the pit. And the second it hits the pit, not unlike what it did on the machete, it ignites but it ignites so quickly because there's such a massive volume of this that there's like a ba-ba-boom! And within seconds, black smoke starts filling the hallway as you guys are running away from it, and it envelops you. Everybody give me a con roll. Mm. I feel like we made a bad choice. Yes, I Dislodge the chunk that Ferris oh, no. took oh, such great pains to made Fuck the yeah. most Michael Bay choice around. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, oh no. my gosh. Um, wow. Uh, I rolled a 19 under 80. Wow. Uh, y'all, Are you I using a, a d20? Uh, I rolled a 3 under, under 45. Three, so that's an extreme success. Mm-hmm. And nineteen under forty, did you 19 say? Nineteen under eighty. That's. I think that should also. That's also extreme. I yeah? think that's. I mean, no, that that would be extreme because that would be. Yeah, that'd be a hard success. Hard success. Uh, and uh, Carter, yeah, I got forty six under seventy. Okay, regular success. Mm-hmm. And then Margot, seventy three over sixty. I'm using luck. I'm using 13 points of luck out of my 35 left because I don't Ooh. want to know what the bad part of this is. Okay. So uh, both of you, uh, Carter and Margot, succeed. Uh, extreme success from Vaughn, hard success from Feyruz. This role required 
a hard success. Frick. And so what happens is, as the smoke overtakes you, you see Jackson just like quickly grab something to put over his face because all of you start coughing and you look back and the smoke envelops Margot and Carter and both of you fall unconscious <gasps> and just hit the ground and you guys lose them. And now no one can see anyone in this black pit. Do you keep running or do you think you heard them fall? Give me a spot hidden, uh, <gasps> Vaughn and Feruz. Yeah, because if I hear, I want to drag somebody. Yeah. Yes, yes. Think I made it. I rolled a four! Oh, my gosh. oh, nice. This, this is a 10. Oh, my God. I, I, rolled, I rolled a 19. <laughs> Four 19. under 75. Under Aren't 75, you're, yeah. You're running, and you just imagine it's like a, a wave. You see this black smoke coming, and it just, whoom, you can't see anybody, but you both hear slap, slap, faces hit the pavement, and you know your friends just uh, succumb. So maybe you're able to quickly uh, cover your mouths, and you start feeling around in the darkness. Yeah, we still uh, have the the things mm-hmm. over still our faces. Still the rags. You yeah. do, yeah. But this was this was too uh, too much. It overcame you. So uh, you're able to hold up. You feel around Vaughn. You feel Carter, Feruz. You feel Margot. And uh, with Jackson's help, you guys just start pulling, 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 and dragging. I mean, my God, you've got to drag them so far. Mm-hmm. You try to lift them. I'm sure Vaughn, you could Vaughn. Actually, you're both probably pretty strong. What's your I strength? Might be able to. Oh, let me see. I'm uh, also my strength is 75. Than oh, strength is 70. All right, so you got just firemen carry them out <laughs> with Jackson One just kind of spotting you. <laughs> nice. um, you get to the body pit, and now, because only one of those chimneys is open, all the black smoke only has two uh, means of egress, so it's going out one of the chimneys and out the uh, body pit. But where all the other chimneys are closed, it's really uh, coagulating here. So... Uh, Within by the time we'll say by the time you get to the body pits, Carter and Margot start to come to, and you're able to all just make your way out of the body pit. And as you do, you all just hit the ground and you're coughing and choking, and spitting up phlegm. But you are out. Oh wow! Carter, Carter's like, <clears throat> I, I think we made it. And he turns to you guys, and from where he fell his mask is like cracked and pieces of it broke off and so you can see underneath this like hole of like dark like like scarred over tissue uh it's like <laughs> you know it's like when you get your tooth knocked out but you don't know it you're like hey guys and you're smiling and it's like, he's like wait what everybody and it's just this this gaping moss peeking out from under his mask <laughs> poor Carter oh. <sighs> My God, dealing us, yes. Is everyone all right? An explosion! You must, must hit the deck. So much of that wretched smoke swept right over us. You see a bloody thing. I think right. between the smoke and having to climb out of the body pit, I'm coughing so hard I throw up. A little bit, at least. So Margot vomits, yeah. which is very popular at these rooms. Yeah, put it in the crack. <laughs> <laughs> put it. I want to put it in the crack on a shirt. Put it in the merch. crack. Merch. Yeah. Yeah. Merch. 
so I imagine you're all just kind of like getting your bearings. You're still on your hands and knees. Marco's vomiting. Jackson is like making sure you guys are all right. And he's really, he's really on you, Vaughn. Like you guys had a moment last app when the, the party didn't quite uh, understand what you were going through. And Jackson held you uh, when that's what you needed most. And so he's really tending to you because he knows how fragile your state is. He's also keeping an eye on Carter and just making sure everything's all right. And, and as all of you are... Um, just getting your bearings and, and watching the smoke pour out of the, the two holes in the ground. You all notice that there is someone else on the site. Let's say Margot, as you wipe vomit from your mouth, you're the first one to notice Luis de Mendoza. No, I forgot about him. (laughs) He's standing right near the entranceway into the ruins, not far from where the charnel pit is. And you see in one hand, he has like part of Larkin's remains, maybe like an arm or something. Maybe chopped up his body. He's he's holding his remains in, in one hand. And in the other hand, he has this long curved sword that looks like it does not belong in this place or time. Not unlike a sword you would see a conquistador carry. And he looks at all of you, and and as he starts to slowly walk towards you, you all watch his mouth start to swell and enlarge until it just becomes this jagged hole like his head is too large, lamprey-like teeth poking out from all around the circumference. And he lifts up the blade over his head and just yells something in a language none of you understand and starts charging at you. But as he gets about halfway to you, suddenly the ground begins to shake. The ground begins to shake and you all hear like voices, whispers in your head, just and hear like a sh- like the ground itself is moaning. This and you watch De Mendoza just like start clutching at his neck and clutching at his mouth and like tearing at his mouth. He drops the sword to the ground. He drops Larkin's remains and suddenly like pieces of him begin falling off and just like melting into the sand and he starts yelling things in Spanish to the sky. He looks to that crack at the top of the pyramid and is like looks like he's begging for something, yelling something in Spanish and then he just fucking melts and dissolves into the ground. Hell yeah. Yes. And falls. We formed. We reformed the barrier of old. It worked. City Monumentum Irae Perennius. Reliquae Pyramidum Alvis. What? It's still gone. Everyone give me a sanity check. Oh, Jesus. It's Uh-oh. not every day you watch a guy dissolve. Mm, nope. Okay. But what if we wanted him to dissolve? That's yeah. true. There is a the slight <laughs> desire for that. We're oh, be a sadist bonus. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Ross, are you on fire over there? Holy shit. Y'all, the past couple sessions, I've been I've been NBA jam on fire. It's um <laughs> I'm on I rolled fire. a sixteen. I I, f- I passed the sanity check. You passed the sanity check! I rolled a 16 under 20. 
three. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, uh, watch this. Carter. Look at my man. I got a two. Oh, you my got God. A two. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> you, you guys have seen worse. You've seen people Way melt worse. before. So you're gonna you, melt. I, you're gonna have to do yeah. better than that, dog. I passed. I got to deal yourself. Oh, you passed. Yes, and, and I got Mark- forty-three under fifty-nine. Ooh. I'm rolling the worst, but I passed seventy under eighty-four. I'm. You have eighty-four sanity. Yeah, I didn't lose anything, and I had really high sanity when I started. Nice. I lost like two points or something. Wow. You uh. look over at Jackson, and Jackson just kind of walks up to the the melted dust that's been left behind that was Luis de Mendoza. Then he turns back and he's like, he just kept saying, save me. Save me, father of maggots. Save me. And we black out from Peru. Oh. I was entreating the thing. Father of maggots. So the ground was like rumbling and then kind of stopped after he melted? Yeah. Or was it still going and we kind of ran? No, it's it, it rumbled and it stopped and you have to wonder, did Siri everywhere suffer the same fate of Luis de Mendoza? We saved the world. Now that <laughs> the protective <laughs> barrier, the sigil, is put back in place. We're heroes, guys. Let's go get some drinks. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Let's get some Pisco Sours. Mm-hmm. You certainly are heroes. And there ends our Peru chapter mm-hmm. of Massive Neolithotep. Give yourselves nice. a big hand. All right. Yes. Big. I want to clap, but now I'm like, more chapters? Credits roll. Thanks to Troy Levesque. Featuring Carter Tillinghast. Introducing the Star Wars one. Gibran. Musical guest. I hope to work with you all again. That was great. That was a good time. Thank you for joining us for these first seven and a half episodes of the series. Uh, We're going to wrap it there. Uh, Yeah, it's over. You know what? Let's have some fun. Uh, We're going to go through the development phase for our uh, investigators because now the adventure begins. Oh. What? That's right. The prologue is over. Now... We are entering the game. Okay. That was just the prologue. Are you telling me there's like 700 more pages? Roll up. So you're saying that was easy mode? Once again, let me just show you this son of a bitch. Look at this guy! It's the rest of our lives we'll be playing this. That was the tutorial. That's the campaign. That's the tutorial. Three books. Well, one of those is just handouts, Nora. One of these is just handouts. The middle one. It's just about 300 handouts. Uh, of which you got through uh, maybe 15. But yeah, no, this is the whole campaign. This is going to be multiple seasons, but we have finished the first part, and now things are about to get really crazy. And what's great is I feel like we've got seven, eight episodes under our belt. We're starting to learn, learn the rules, get a little more comfortable. Uh, once again, shout out to my main man behind the scenes, Michael. Michael watches every episode twice, sends us all uh, sort of rules corrections, and we're just we're, we're figuring it out as we go. But this is a really exciting point now because now 
your investigators get to get better. They're not superheroes. It's not like your your bard is now a third level bard or your wizard gets new spells. You just get a little better and maybe a little more sane. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go through all the skills that you checked while we were in Peru. Um, and those were still skills that you succeeded on. And what you're going to do is you're going to roll a D100 and you want to fail these rolls. Not unlike improving luck, you want to roll higher than your current score or a 95 or over. And if you do, you'll gain a D10 in those skills. So you'll get a little bit better. Um, Which is great. So your best skills are hopefully going to get a little bit better. Um, Let's go through one by one here and see what people checked. Uh, Obviously you got, you know, about 12 hours worth of uh, rolling here. There should be some good improvement. Uh, who would like? Who would like to start? I can be a guinea pig since I I think I probably made the least amount of successful checks. <laughs> the amount of successful checks. <laughs> you know what it does is you you start to quickly realize it really encourages you uh, rolling and not just rolling your best skills. Yeah, trying yeah. out everything. You know, I like because that. Mm-hmm. don't forget you're trying to fail these skills. So if you've got an eighty five in something and you keep rolling that, it's going to be harder for you to fail an eighty five than it is to succeed. So you want to give a. You know what? I only have a ten in mechanical repair. Maybe I'll spend that. And also, don't forget if you use luck to make a roll right, you don't get to check it. <gasps> Unfortunately. Oh no! Bom. So Bom. I don't get the mechanical repair one. You don't. That's that's the catch for uh, the optional luck rule. Mm. Womp Carter. and also womp. Womp with a side order. Womp. <laughs> oh uh, man, I can't remember if. They, well, I'll trust Michael to. Michael's all over this. We're 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 decent with it. And at the end of the day, we're all friends here. We're going to figure yeah. this out. Carter, what did you? Uh, let's just start walking through the skills that you succeeded on. Yeah, I succeeded on charm, which is going to be hard to pass because that was a seventy-five. Give it a roll. I want to get a. I want to get above it, right? Above or over a ninety-five? Nope. Okay. This brings me back to character creation. This is so much fun. Uh, Okay, next one. You can uncheck it, by the way, and then everything is going to be fresh checks from here on out. Okay. So climb. I climbed at some point, guys. Um, I remember that. I had a twenty. There, so this should be 46. Okay. Okay. So now I'm rolling a D10. A D10, yeah. Get a little better at climbing. I got seven points better at climbing, guys. Eight. You know what's fun now? Now, instead of all your things being multiples of five or 15, it's all going to be uh, like 17s, 14s, 13s. Cool. Mm -hmm. So was that it? Just charm and climb? No, there's a couple more. I mean, we don't, you know... It's up to you if you want to kind of like cut around to different people. I'll keep going. Yeah, if you want to guys just start, uh, well, we can go through the highlights of these. What, I, what I'm curious about is what you improved on. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. just start looking at them. Again, you want to roll over it um, or over a 95. And if you roll it exactly, you don't get to improve it. So it has to be at least one point over or over a 95. I improved my dodge by five points. Oh, great skill. Hell yeah. Yeah, I improved my first aid by three points. Huge. Did not improve my brawl. I had a 30, I just rolled a 22. (laughs) Damn it. Oh, brutal. So are we rolling just one thing to see if all of them improve? Nope, you do each one individually. Each one? Oh, no. I've got a, okay, I've got a lot. Uh, okay, we'll start, you know, just do a couple I'll, of them. I'll do, I'll do a few of my, I'll tell you which ones I succeeded in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just make a mark. This is really, uh, 
this won't come into play too much until uh, next week. This is more <laughs> for you guys. Now, also, if anyone goes above 90% in a skill during this development phase, let me know. Um, that could happen. You'd have to have a high skill, that, like like an 85 and something, and you crush it somehow. Hell, that feeling when you get it over... And then you roll one point of improvement. Oh, yeah, that just brutal. happened to me twice. <laughs> so so we're, we're wanting to roll over, yeah? Yeah, yeah. over. I okay. had, uh, I succeeded a track uh, thing at some point, which was only a 10, and I rolled a 2. So I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get to improve it. I succeeded the most at the most important one, spot hidden. I got 10 extra points. Oh, huge. Very good. So, resolved huge. all my failures. <laughs> I got one extra point in psychology now. I got one extra point in library use because I rolled two ones to improve them. But <laughs> I got uh, 10 more of listen. So I bumped up 10 points in wow. listen. Oh, awesome. Another huge skill. Oh, wait. Um, where's my listen? You guys used that. listen when you went to Larkin's or de Mendoza's door at the mm-hmm. hotel. Anything in there? All right, let's bust it down. Um yeah, I didn't roll a lot of different stuff. I tried to stay to what I was good at, which I guess is like, you know, now don't want to do. That, yeah. I mean, you definitely want to play to your strengths. Yeah. But you see in the development phase the importance of uh, having a diversified portfolio of skills here because you yeah. get better in the ones that you otherwise wouldn't use. I, uh, I succeeded on everything but cryptology. Cryptology was 70 and I rolled a 69. Oh my. So Jesus let me Lord. roll. Hey, that should you be You succeeded on every single one. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, but except for the one that I'm super good at, I'm like, mm, no. You get better at. You thought. Uh, got, but let me uh, roll what I... Yeah, so you're going to D10 back in each of them. Yeah. yeah. I got a 99. Oh, great. Oh, my listen on roll. Listen. Okay. What is your current listen? Uh, it was uh, 60. Great. Give yourself a D10. Awesome skill to improve. Um, while Nora's three. adding... Three. While Nora's adding up, uh, doing all of her improvement, uh, Nora's failed one roll in the last hour, by the way. Um, if you're following along at home, uh, take Nora to the nearest casino. Um, She's already... Hey. What's I going to say is... Okay, so yeah, if you... Uh, take a skill that's like an 84. Oh, I, I rolled six points of improvement. You bring it above a 90. You immediately roll 2d6 and add that to your sanity. Oh my god. Because Whoa. it shows the discipline and self-esteem that you get from mastering a skill. Oh. It improves your overall mental state. Now this is something that will probably happen in further development phases. I don't know if anybody had something in the 85s or something that was going to get that high. But I th- uh, that's one of my yeah, favorite no. like little mini rules is you can get a sanity boost. That's cool. Um... Do you want me to so, list off the stuff, like my improvements? Eh, any tens? Do we have? I the did time? get a ten, and I got a ten and li- and listen. A ten and listen. Okay, oh, guys, yeah. can be. You guys are great listeners. I don't care what anybody says. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, what was I going to say? Okay, so obviously Vaughn and uh, Carter are going to have some some work to do here in the downtime. Downtime, uh, which you don't know how long it's going to last, mm. but I will tell you shortly. However, uh, you get campaign-specific boons for uh, succeeding uh, as well as you did in this adventure. And uh, these particular boons are all going to give you some sanity back. So, for uh, defeating Luis de Mendoza, everyone right now, give yourself 1d6 sanity points. Oh, yeah. Starting to feel better already. Oh, need and, it. And um, you, Troy, I'm sorry. Can I ask you one more time? You said yeah. if you get a, if you get a 
above a certain what number was it where you 90 in a scale okay yeah not on there i got an 80 on one of them okay well hey if you get a 10 next time that one will give you 2d6 sand back um but everybody gets 1d6 for defeating uh de mendoza and uh i know i'm getting ahead of you nori here so i'll come back to you um for uh (laughs) killing augustus larkin you get 1d4 sanity points back all right (laughs) Uh, so 1d6 and 1d4? Mm-hmm. Okay. For releasing Larkin from whatever it was that has uh, that had inhabited him, you get 1d6 sanity points. Here's a good one. Restoring the ward on the pyramid and destroying the Kari Siri, 1d8 sanity points. Oh, Jesus. heck yeah. Oh. Nice. <laughs> So you get a D6, two D6, a D4, and a D8. Um, Guys, I'm almost out of the 30s. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, I'm killing it now. I'm back to, I'm at 59. Oh, I was at, baby! I gained 20 points. Right. Sandest guy in town. Unfortunately, we have a long-lasting phobia and a definite insanity that will last for months. Had you let Nyara die, you would have lost sanity points. There mm. were also some other triggers uh, where you would have lost, and perhaps some uh, other things that you could have done that would have gained you more, but those are your campaign specific boons. Nice. Okay, cool. I got 19 points of sanity back. Nice. Uh, Margo, how'd you do? I have 92 sanity. <laughs> I had oh 84 or something no. before rolling all of that. Wow. I got uh, 78 total. That's right phenomenal. Now. Okay, so uh, you have a zero in Cthulhu Mythos, right? Me? Yeah, I think everyone yes. has a zero in Cthulhu Mythos. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you are, the highest you can go is 99 in Sanity minus whatever your Cthulhu Mythos score is. So you can... Uh, you can get all the way up there. Okay, that's great. So you guys want to lean on Margo. <laughs> Put Margo yeah, in front. man. Uh, okay, so... Downtime. And, what were we gonna say, Ross? Oh no, just just in as a counterpoint, uh, Vaughn is now working with a very respectable thirty-six points of sanity. Oh my hey! god! What did you roll? I, I rolled like a, a one, a two, a three, a two. Oh, Vaughn! <laughs> but hey. he's struggling. He's struggling. Vaughn gonna Vaughn. Vaughn gonna Vaughn, baby. Well, the the good you news is Vaughn. you're you're able to spend some time. Uh, trying to uh, make yourself better. Um, you pretty much, you have a couple different options uh, for both you and Carter. You can uh, seek private care if you want maybe to not do this publicly. It might be a little more expensive. Have someone come to your house and uh, month by month uh, during this downtime you can you basically would roll to see if you get stuff back. Um, or you can commit yourself to an institution um, which is uh, a lot less expensive, um, but and then you're in it. You're in the system. Um, either way, you're going to have to seek um, some sort of professional help to try and deal with these long-lasting effects. And for Carter uh, specifically, you're going to want to try and remove this phobia. Yeah, but we'll play out some of this. Some we won't. What I'm going to be interested in is finding out what happens to these people when they leave Peru? And we will find out right after this short break. Before we get to what everybody's been up to uh, during this time after Peru, there's one other little uh, 
thing that I, I don't think it's going to apply per se, uh, but it's just a cool little rule uh, in the book. It's called getting used to the awfulness. So for seeing one of those Karasiri larvae, by the way, there were three of those in that pool of filth. Had you uh, failed on that mechanical repair roll or fumbled it or failed a pushed roll, uh, you would have fallen in. And there's three of those larvas in the pit. Just <gasps> for seeing those things, when you first saw it, when it uh, came out of the professor, uh, the sanity loss for that is zero on a pass, 1d3 on a fail. Um Basically, once you've lost the max that you can lose for seeing those, which in that in this case of a larva is three, you don't lose any more points. You become like adjusted to the sanity of, of, mm. of seeing these things uh, or the insanity of seeing these things. But as time passes, that starts to wear down. So yeah. right now, you guys are not – you would not be phased if a, a carcerary larva came walking into a bar. But after the next development phase, that goes down by one. Uh, so instead – Instead of taking zero points, now on a fail, you would take one. And then after the next development phase, you would take two. And after that, it goes back to, like, you're no longer adjusted. So uh, the way they write it is time heals all wounds, uh, even the ones that you don't want to heal in the case of, like, becoming adjusted to these monsters. Just really, really deep system. And and some of it we're going to get way into it. Some of it we're going to learn as we go. But... uh, uh, it's it's definitely worth, uh, especially uh, for you at home, if you want to play this game, really digging in and revisiting the sanity mechanic and uh, playing around with what interests you. But what interests me is what goes on in these people's lives after Peru. Does does Margot return to Germany? Vaughn to England and and, and Carter and uh, Feyruz back to Massachusetts. Like where does everybody go and what do they do? The, the floor is yours. Uh, you guys, this is this is your time to kind of explain this this passage of time. Who's going first? Who's the getting Who's thing? First? Who's got a hot one? Mine's not kind of hot. Mine's not hot. Is that hot? <laughs> Might be Mine's very hot. nerdy. Tipping. Mine's very Ooh. nerdy. Ooh. Mine's fine, I think. Yeah. I... Ross, Same. what do you got? Okay. I'll put great. you on the spot. Um, okay. Um, I've, I have two ideas, and I kind of want to leave it to, to, to chance. Or maybe, maybe I can make a roll out of it. Let's see how... Um, is, is, uh, it would depend on whether Vaughn is, wants help urgently and quickly, or um, wants the best or what he might perceive as like the most high quality, which would take a while longer. So, um, uh, all right. Give yourself a 50, 50 roll. Yeah. Uh huh. (laughs) I like it. Great. Um, okay, great. I just rolled. Um, I, I, so I, I, I'm, I'm getting, um, the less, um, <laughs> I didn't, I'm getting the care that I, that I desperately need right now. Uh, and I, I can't perhaps go all the way back home. Um, and so I think, uh, Vaughn having been exposed to everything that he's been exposed to, 
They're coming to pick you up right yeah, now. I'm, I'm coming, they're coming to take me away. Uh, well, I'm being exposed to everything he's been exposed to has had like the foundation of his, that sort of um, skeptical nature of his shattered. Um, and so he is now maybe a little bit more prone to believe that there is something at work in the world that, that, uh, that science can't explain that the, the rational mind can't probe. And so rather than go home to Eagles Grange to seek professional psychiatric help, he goes perhaps and try and uh, seeks recovery at a, um, at a monastery down here in the, uh, in, in South America. So, oh, cool. um, um, perhaps back in uh, Belize, which would, I guess then would have been British Honduras. Um, the fact that you know that, it's <laughs> very on brand for Ross. <laughs> it's, like, it's both infuriating and impressive. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Uh, little, little Ross is hearing the like, get him, um, <laughs> like, nerd. Um, You're more fat away from the legend. Yeah. Um, and but uh, yeah. Um, so ima- so imagine Vaughn like stepping through the doors of a of a type of building he hasn't walked through in a long time without a big roll of the eyes. Um, a, uh, not an Anglican, but a Catholic church. And, um, uh, going through the motions in a way that, like, uh, that, that portrait of Vaughn in the, uh, in the, that beautiful artwork is based on, I was like, he looks like, uh, Evelyn Waugh. And this is, this is kind of like what happened at, well, it's not like what happened to Evelyn Waugh, but like, he found Catholicism later in life. And, and this is sort of like happening to, to Vaughn. And um, so maybe just see him in a small little kind of monastic room, eating a simple meal provided by one of the uh, one of the brothers, and just like uh, and that 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 schoolboy Latin coming back to him, uh, and what you heard him muttering by the uh, by the pit earlier, exegi monumentum aere perennius regulaque situ pyramidum altius. I raised a monument more lasting than bronze, in a royal site more high than pyramids. But yeah. Wow. And, and so what, uh, how do we determine whether or not he, he gets and how much sanity he gets back from this? Yeah, so... I will uh, lift or the veil. If you want to go in deeper to what's going on, we can do that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper, uh, only because if I lift the veil a little bit, there is a lot of time that is going to pass between Peru and the next stage of your journey. So, I mean, maybe he, this is just a way station onto elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of two different things. There's this just sort of narrative of what your life looks like afterwards, and then there's a uh, a section called self help which is where you connect with something uh, from your background. Could be your okay. key connection or one of your background things. You could also meld these things together. Great. Um, Great. Then in that so, case, yeah. then maybe the, the things I was thinking of are mutually aren't, aren't uh, it's not an either or. So maybe that helps to kind of get him centered. And then if the time allows, um, Vaughn does uh, go all the way back to... Um, to England, and if you see him there, like in a in a small uh, Honduran monastery, 
communicating in 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 English and schoolboy Latin. Next, when next you see him, it's in the uh, in a bedroom with a wrought iron um, window pane, looking out over like a a beautiful uh, garden. It's like something out of Howard's End, or uh, or something. It's like something <laughs> uh, out of a Merchant Ivory kind of movie. I really um, liked Howard's End. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people did. I don't think there's any shame there. But I'd never like sit around now on a Saturday and be like, I want to watch Howard's End. <laughs> I'm still really let's like, fire up Howard's End. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do some peyote, peyote and watch Howard's End. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to watch the works of the young Helena Bonham Carter? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone? Um, <laughs> no. And, uh, Okay, fine, fine. We'll do room with a view. Um, and uh, just like writing in a writing in a journal. And I think at this point, in ensconced in home and comfort, he maybe would seek some professional counseling. And he has the credit rating to do it. I bet he does. So he can get the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, is this someone that maybe he's visited before? Um, when he came yes. back from the war, or so it's not a new uh, relationship. I think he had. Let's say he had trauma when he came back from the war, and he went to a hospital like the uh, Craig Lockhart Asylum that a lot of the um, World War One era poets went to, like Siegfried Sassoon and Wilfred Owen, and uh, um, like like uh, like Robert Graves knew all these folks, and um, maybe somebody from from that institution will make an exception and come to the come to the Villiers house to just check in on um, on uh, on Vaughn at his personal request. What do you think this doctor's name is? Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, a good, good, good English doctor name of this time. Um, Dr. Pritchard. Dr. Doom. Dr. Pritchard Doom. Yes. It's D-U with an umlaut. Umlaut M-E. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Richard Doom, I'm from Sweden. Um, <laughs> yeah, Richard uh, von Doom. Uh, <laughs> um, th- this is someone you, you have a relationship with, you, you go to him, and um, which is the, the type of therapist that lets you do all the talking? Is that Jungian or Freudian? No. Isn't there like two schools? You, just, you sit there, they don't say anything, it's right. Is that Freudian? I thought that was every therapist. <laughs> well, some of them are, I think, more engaging, but there's... Uh, maybe this is too I'm, I'm dating myself but in the old days I think it was one or the other uh, I'm sure now it's a lot more robust let's but, say uh, this 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 um, therapist is, is a little bit more active and like probes dreams especially okay. and, uh, and um you come in there he uh, ushers you to your seat and it's like uh, Vaughn. Uh, it's been a while since I've uh, seen you. You look like, you look as if you've got some colour. I'll say, Evan. I've been in climes more equatorial, old man. Yes. I dare say I have been uh, burnished a bit more tawny than last you saw me. <clears throat> How Mind if I smoke? I'm afraid no, say I can't live without it. Please, I smoke as well. We all smoke in the 1920s. Yes. <clears throat> a three-year-old walks by with a cigarette. Uh, <laughs> right. Johnny? Yeah. Good for the sea zone. Yes. Um. Tell me, how have you been? That's the... 
devil of the thing about it, I... <clears throat> Thought when I left Flanders I'd, I'd seen the last of her. Uh, what I believe I described to you is something of a... Something of a hell on earth. Yes, hell on earth. <laughs> yeah, so the very gates of Tartarus burst open and let loose of some sort of demonic horde. <laughs> so, uh, I'm afraid I've seen something to... Uh, to give it a run for its money. You're going to think I'm... You're going to think I'm quite mad, I'm afraid. Well, it's not my job to judge. It's just... Just to listen. What, um... What did you say? <laughs> I've, 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 I've walked paths, um... Uh, Dr. Doom, that are... Uh, are right out of... Uh, they're, the, they're the stuff of legend, old man. I am. Um, what would you say if I told you that death is not the end? Well, I would say you share an opinion with most of the religions of the world. Yes, of course. And, 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 and I've spent a great deal of time meditating on how uh, the Savior promises us that the kingdom of heaven is forthcoming. And that we shall be in his presence once again in glory in this, this mortal uh, flesh that we all wear. We shall one day cast off and, and the spirit that is within us shall rejoin him in, in fields of, of light and everlasting peace. But when he walked upon this earth, did he not raise flesh from the dead? And I, 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 I say to you that I, I have seen it with my own eyes. Although the power that raised him from the dead, I, I would not say was Christly. And if there is a Redeemer, if there is a Christ, if Mary and all the saints sit in their golden brilliance, then I say to you that there are other powers, principalities and thrones as well. In legion, arrayed against us, taking forms and whispering to us in ways the mind cannot comfortably conceive. And I know this because they have whispered to me in my own ear. Whether you want to call this the devil or, or something, I tell you that I have heard him. <laughs> but I, I have seen the dead move again, and I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't help but admit that it, um, it does make one's life feel rather strange, knowing that, um, given the right set of circumstances, you can shake off your dust and move. I told you, you you would think I was mad. No, no, not at all. It's it's very common to um, in times of stress and uh, mental strain to uh, turn to religion or to go back to the teachings of our youth and try and find meaning in in these fables and tales. <laughs> but what's important, Vaughn, is that you're able to separate reality from fiction or dreams do you think you're still able to do that I confess that I do not I, 
find myself wondering if... If... The friends of mine... I left in... In Flanders, if, um... There might not be some way to bring them back from wherever they have gone. And as you say that, you look past Dr. Doom and see out the window your friend whose letter you have in your pocket. And he's just standing at the window watching you. In fact, I dream it all the time, Doctor. Now, I dare say these days I scarcely know whether I'm dreaming or awake. And we fade out of that scene. And we come up on Margot. Margot, back to Germany? Yes. Um, Definitely back to Germany. I'm thinking it's like a two-part type of thing, too, where first she goes to Berlin for a bit because she went on this excursion to get inspiration for her art. So she's like, all right, I should just put this to good use, I guess, and go back to Berlin, make some art, and have a show. Um, So that's what she intends to do. Um and she starts making art and all of her paintings and woodcuts are darker than before. Some of the drawings that she does are made with ash. Um, the street scenes that she paints, which are very common for um, like the time and the scene that she's in, um, they're scattered with like people maybe who have blank stares or people who are bloated or maybe really gaunt maybe you might think you see like someone with a leech face but you're not sure because it's abstract Mm -hmm. but it's real creepy um her portraits of people um have maggots coming out of their mouths her figure drawings look like the figures might be in pain or like writhing or something Mm -hmm. um so she makes body work (laughs) (laughs) And she has a show at a gallery in Berlin. And, I mean, the art is received well. I mean, it's good. It's abstract. It's Debruck. It's the bridge. But it's got, like, this creepy layer over it that people aren't expecting. So they're like, ooh, ah, wow. And they're all talking about it and mingling at the art opening. And usually Margot is like, pretty bubbly and like good at networking which is kind of what you have to it's one of the skills you have to have as like someone who is an artist for a living because you need people to buy your art and you need to get your art sold at galleries um but now she is still trying to be friendly but maybe she like loses her train of thought in the middle of speaking or it's just a bit on edge when someone comes up behind her to like greet her um so after that opening, she decides to go home home, um, back to her family house, which is one of her meaningful locations. And that's located in Schiltach. Schiltach. <laughs> Schiltach. It's in Germany. It's in the eastern area where, like, the Black Forest is. 
Okay. Um, and who's there at that house? Is your family mom, still there? Your mom, just your mom? Yeah, her mom and her dad are still there. And okay. it's like a small town. So she is excited to go back because she knows it's not going to be as different as when she left it. Like maybe like a little bit of just like stabilization because maybe walking down the streets of Berlin, it's just like maybe she gets a whiff of garbage and it starts to smell like rotting corpses in her mind a bit and it's just getting too much with like the people around she sees like the woman and the child from Peru that were normal and then weren't weren't normal and so yeah she wants to go back home is she uh, painting at home or does she have a studio somewhere in, in the small town um I'm assuming she still has a bedroom at her family home and she'll paint and draw but she since she can really only paint these disturbing scenes, maybe she wants to take a break from it. And what she did when she was younger was she would explore um, the Black Forest. There's like um, talk of like myths and legends and stuff like that that are tied to the forest, but she was never afraid of it. She grew up with it and she knows how to navigate it. And she knows it's all hearsay and talk. But now that she's been on this adventure, Maybe when she's in the woods having her alone time, she hears like something behind her and she's a bit on edge. And I like to think that she's like reading fairy tales. I'm not sure when the Brothers Grimm like made their stories. So I could be like breaking time right now. But they did make their stories based on that area. Um, they're creepy fairy tales, so I would imagine she's like reading creepy fairy tales that are based on the area, but reading them like when she was a kid, it was like, oh, these are teaching you a lesson, and they're maybe creepy, but whatever. Their stuff was published in 1812, but they were mm-hmm. still, yeah, they were still uh, popular, I'm sure. <laughs> still nice. alive, so probably. I'm imagining she was read those <laughs> stories as a child, yeah, um, by her parents and stuff. So she's reading like maybe the nicer ones, like Rapunzel and Little Red Riding Hood. Cinderella and Snow White and then she like maybe starts reading Rumpelstiltskin maybe reading it a little too hard (laughs) (laughs) and like the creepier ones like the Juniper Tree or like Fitcher's Bird and then she starts thinking about how there's like sayings of like like there's this guy this king in the lake that like drags women down and like keeps them there and things like that and maybe being at home isn't helping Maybe it's bringing out another layer of this. Do you think you take the mask with you? The mirror mask? Or do you think... Where does that go? I feel like when we saw it, we put it back. And I hate it, because I wish I took it. You think you slid it under the mattress? I I was in the impression that you guys took it. Yeah, I think it's like we said, like, I put it back. But I I don't remember... And I would love to think that I actually took it instead. Well, we'll have to go back and listen to the tape. But I think at the same time, as you're, as you're walking through this forest and and uh, being inspired as well as terrified by nature, um, you know, you, you keep having flashbacks of, of the things that you saw, of the, um, the pyramid exploding into tendrils and dripping with maggots, and then the... the, the the orgy and, and murder scene that you saw that was just otherworldly, like the trees themselves begin to look like these dancing people that were copulating and killing each other. And uh, after one of your many strolls through the forest, eventually um, you come home 
we'll say, and uh, you don't see your parents anywhere, but you can hear them talking. And so you just kind of walk, try and find out where they are, and they're in your room uh, looking at your paintings. And you hear them talking. I guess it's just... I'm so, it is so strange. She has... Um, she has uh, changed her, her entire outlook on uh, things. It's so dark and, and disturbing now. And your mother's like, yeah, yes, but uh, she is an artist. They, they must grow. They're, 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 what they do uh, changes over time. Uh, this is not uh, our little Margot. This is just uh, perhaps a frustration at the world coming out. Well, I, the father's like, I, I never understood art. I do not understand these things. I do find it strange that she draws herself in all of these things, though. And the mother's like, yes, yes, she does seem to include herself. And as they're saying that, you think you've never put yourself in any of these pictures. You've drawn other things. And uh, the mother's like, yes, and she just said... It's her, but it's also not her. It is so strange. Oh, Margot! They, they, they see you. I'm so sorry. We were just we were just tidying up. Uh, we brought in your laundry, and, and Father and I were looking at your uh, paintings. Um, it's very nice. We, we we love what you're doing. Isn't that right, honey? She nudges your dad. She's like, yeah, yes, we're, we're very proud of you. And uh, maybe they scuffle away. And you go in there, and you look at these paintings and you're looking for yourself and you don't see what they're talking about so maybe you like really just focus in on one and you're looking you're looking and looking and finally you see yourself like but your face isn't there and then you just like you, you rub at it and you're trying to you don't remember ever drawing this at all and you rub at it and then you start looking around and you one by one start to see a faceless version of yourself in every single one of these paintings that you have no memory of putting in there and we just fade out as we see you rubbing at all these etchings trying to figure out what's going on Carter, back to Massachusetts, buy a yeah, new act- face face mask. Actually, I was thinking of at least showing the party splitting up, uh, discussing yeah. that because I think that that kind of uh, speaks to Carter a little bit. Um, yeah, you eventually get back to uh, Puno, eventually back to Lima. Yeah, I would imagine we sort of there was not a lot of chitter chatter on the way back. After everything that happened on whatever uh, donkeys still remain. Um, but I think when they're sort of at the, maybe the port, maybe they're, you know, in, back in, uh, in Lima, I think Carter's sort of affected by um, the group dynamic a little bit. I think he's definitely affected by having done something that ultimately was in the better interest of people other than himself. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of like, we have to go, we're going to go into this temple, we're going to put in this thing at the risk of our own very lives and sanity and all this stuff. 
and you know he eventually he went with it and I think that provided him with like a new uh, sense of morality that he didn't have before so I think sure yeah mummies floating heads that's fucking with him but I think like almost equally what's fucking with him is this idea of like is the world not revolve around me you know and like that kind of the life of a con man just just merged with the life of a of, of a person who is part of a group of people who just did something for the betterment of humanity as far as they're concerned or what they've witnessed mm-hmm and so I think when they're all sort of going their separate ways, you know, I don't, at this point, I would assume we, we never think we're going to see each other again. Right. right. I mean, we, we just went through the shit. Right. Uh, Maybe exchange addresses to become pen pals. Yes. But. I'll write you and you'll write me and we'll send each other stickers. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think that, and I don't know, maybe, maybe, and it's kind of up to Nora too, since we're both heading back to Massachusetts or maybe, I don't know where she's going, but maybe there was, Maybe we ended up, this leg of the journey was, Feyruz and Carter were together a little longer. But I think when he gets back, uh, yeah, he goes back home, partially because he's has no money. I mean, my credit rating is like 10. I basically did that because to, to reflect, even though he's married to this heiress or whatever, Massachusetts royalty, uh, he didn't leave with like full pockets, you know, when he when he kind of set off. He, his whole thing was trying to get money to pay back the gambling debts that he has that he thought he was going to be able to pay off when this old bird kicked the bucket. Uh, but <laughs> well, you do. You are $2,000 richer with well, all that's this stuff go. that you could yeah, yeah. So I think, I think upon arriving back uh, in, in, uh, on the North Shore, uh, he, <laughs> he immediately pays off. I mean, I, and this would have been helped to figure out earlier. I feel like he pays off a portion of what he owes, but he's not completely out. I think he bought himself time. Yeah. Um, so with, he was in deep if he, he was, was over two grand. Deep. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's not going to like give it all away. I think right. part of it wants to freshen up this mask, girl. Um, but uh, <laughs> just a phrase I never thought I'd say out loud. So, <laughs> so I think he, you know, I think he rolls in back into the, the, the manor house over on the coast. And I think he like throws the doors open and he's just like, there's a part of him that's dying inside as he's like, Myrtle, honey, baby, I'm home. It's your Carter back, you know. And he's kind of reverting back to that, like, oh, fuck, here we go again, right? But maybe she comes around the corner and like, is that you? <laughs> I'm not going to play five <laughs> characters now, though. <laughs> is that you, honey? Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and he sees her, and actually for like a brief moment, it's not like a, oh, fuck, here we go again. You know, it's more of like a, oh shit, it's like, I feel happy to see this person. Like, I don't know if it's, yeah, I think it's something like, I don't know if it's like a, this is my wife, I love her necessarily, <laughs> as much as it's a, this is a familiar thing in my life. And after what I just went through, holy shit, like, I feel like, so Carter just breaks down and starts sobbing, I think, when he sees her. <laughs> oh God. You know, um, tears kind of streaming through the cracks of the mask. Um, <laughs> Maybe his tear duct on the other side got inverted. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but yeah, he's got more trip in the back. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that that's a, a very real thing that he's going through. Mm-hmm. This sort of crisis of conscience in terms of... It's always been about myself. It suddenly, for a brief moment, wasn't about myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, and oh, by the way, I saw, like, slugs entering people's faces and fucking mummies and shit. Um... 
So I think there's a moment of that, and then and then I think there's a, a little bit of a snapback of like, baby, I need the best care possible. Carter's <laughs> had a, a rough few weeks or whatever it's been. Um, so I would think that you know, and I don't, I hope you know, you can you can rule otherwise, Troy, if you think it's too yeah. easy. I just think given what we established about the money that he's trying to get from this woman, that she would pay for somebody to come, like an expert to come and talk to him at the house on a regular basis uh, to sort of deal with that. Yeah, I like this. Uh, I'll throw something at you. You know, you you break down there and and you see her and she's the same as before uh, and you're overjoyed to see her and and you you come to and and you just hear a, a voice of a man say, Oh, you must be Mr. Tillinghast. And you turn and you see a a handsome man, maybe a couple years younger than you, standing there. And uh, your wife is like, "Oh, this this is Bart. Bart is a, a new friend of mine. He's been very helpful uh, while you were away. Um, he, he, he we we met uh, shortly after you you went on your your trip. And, and Bart ah. Bart is Bart is wonderful." And uh, he's like, yes, yes, I've, I've heard a lot about you. Um, where, where, tell us of your travels. Where did you go, leaving well, your lovely wife the, here all alone? I don't want to be the first to answer questions in my own home, sir. I feel like I've just come, come back. I've got my luggage here. I would ask, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> your wife's like, Carter, don't you talk to Bart that way. I'm sorry for that language, baby doll, but I just came back. You don't know the things I've seen. And you got Bartholomew here hanging out. Well, what are, you, uh, the, are you the new groundskeeper, or uh, maybe you're a valet? I mean, no offense, Mister Tillinghast. I'm just, I'm just here to help. Uh, you have a, a, a lovely wife, and uh, I, I mean, no disrespect. I was just uh, here to, to help. I, I met her one day when she was struggling with groceries uh, to carry them home, and I just thought I would uh, be of assistance. We we struck up a bit of a friendship, and. Uh, you know, I, I guess my, my services are no longer needed. And she's like, oh, Bart, don't you talk like that. We, you, I need you as much as I need Carter, what? as it were. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I don't have many friends. And you, you left me and went all alone. It was nice to have someone to talk to. I, I'm so glad you're back and in one piece. But I, I can't have you speaking to, to Bart that way. <laughs> Carter... This is a ripoff. Carter goes up to <laughs> Carter goes up to uh, to Bart. This fucker, Bart Vickers. Yeah, walks up to him like real slow. Kind of looks at him and like gets up almost like nose to nose and goes like, "You've been using my cologne." <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I wasn't aware it, it was yours. I just thought I'd freshen up. That's my cologne, friend. I'm gonna have to ask you to leave my residence. Too sweet. Of course. Clearly you have problems of your own to deal with. Yeah, no I shit. Don't want to stand in the way. He goes over to your wife and just grabs her hand and No no no. I guess Carter's only just pointing at one eye. Pointing one eye. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Tillinghast, it's been a pleasure. I uh, I hope to see you again. Both yeah. of you. Well, the feeling is, is singular. 
sir. He walks out, gives you that little look. Yeah, I know who you are. Just at the end. He, yeah. He's got You both know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dog. And you just maybe walk up to the, the edge of the door as you watch I'm, him leave. I'm just closing it slowly. <laughs> he gets into his Ferrari. <coughs> yeah. He drives off. What the fuck is that thing? License plate says Vic Man number one. He lives in the air Did and they flies have off. This <laughs> <laughs> is half flies. Uh, Where we're going, we don't need roads. And we leave that scene. And finally, we come to uh, Feyruz. Feyruz, do you uh, have a uh, go back to Massachusetts? Do you share part of this trip with Carter? Uh, I, I think. There would be a part where we're just kind of consoling each other on the way back to the trip. But at the same time, I I think Feyruz is so... She's just trying to process everything. And so while during all this on the way back home, it is comforting to have Carter for part of the trip. But the words just aren't there yet. Um... Feyruz goes back to Miskatonic University and given everything she's experienced, she becomes slightly suspicious of everyone that she encounters uh, upon first, you know, glance and value. And, uh, and she just becomes consumed by everything that she has learned about. And so she goes back to the university. She's pouring through the libraries and it's, I, I don't, it's not enough. And she looks back. Um, her whole life's work has been to uncover occult knowledge. And so she's looking back on the secret, like secret society that she's a part of. She's looking back on all of these other parts in her life and everything that's been discussed behind secret doors in hushed tones and metaphors has finally been made material before her eyes. And she gets this overwhelming sense that the entire world, that there's this hidden world that's interwoven in this mundane world that we live in. And she can't make sense of it. And it's consuming her. Hmm. Um, and so... She feels like she's so close yet so far away. Um, she's flipping through her mother's diary that was left to her, going back and trying to check th- through all of those weird hidden messages and weird symbols that she's written and trying to cross-reference that with the charcoal rubbings that she's made and she's trying to make sense of something. And... Um, She even tries to break into her father's library to see if there's something there. Because at this point, she's willing to risk things to just to make sense of it. Okay, so she feels a little lost coming back, torn between what she experienced in Peru and her former life. She's wondering if she's been a pawn this whole time in her life into something larger with everything that she's experienced. 
I imagine from time to time you're taking classes and, and you'll just look over at another student and you'll see Trinidad Rizzo sitting there smiling at you and then you look back again and she's smiling at you but she's in corpse form desiccated like you found her below the university and so you're you're struggling with these memories and you finally decide to break into your father's office maybe something you caught got caught doing as a kid and were reprimanded and so you knew even as an adult it wasn't something to do but you've been pushed towards it and you just start looking without even knowing what you're looking for and maybe you stumble upon some books on Peru and the first thing that strikes you is that you see uh, images of those long faces those statues that you saw in the ruins the statues that when the wind blew through them it sounded like people were whistling and moaning but no one was there and so you dig in and you eventually see reference to something known as the father of maggots and it jumps out at you because you're like that's what de Mendoza was yelling about pleading to the father of maggots to save him when the ward was returned to the pyramid and scrawled in the marginalia near it there's one word with a question mark that just says Nearlithotep? I very much write that down in my journal. <laughs> it takes you five minutes. Because <laughs> of all the letters. It's a very long word. Exquisite image. I... I don't know if I if I take the book itself it might get me into some trouble I might get got so I take note of what this book is the author and try to skim through as much of it as I can so we just see you pouring over this book writing furiously camera pulls up we see you copying, reading, digging in as we fade out of that scene. A lot of time passes after your time in Peru, as I've mentioned before. There's other things that we can do as part of this development stage that we can do via email where you can like take four months to train a new skill. You can get better at something. If you want to get better at brawling, you hire a trainer to teach you how to box. If you want to get better at uh, library use, you you actually study that better at uh, archaeology, you study that so you take that time and then you roll to see if you get better, so we can do that um, even with the sanity stuff the reason I'm not going to have you roll it uh, is because years pass after Peru before you find yourself uh, called back in, as it were 
Sincher of Adventure in Peru uh, with Jackson Elias. All of you have kept in touch with your good friend, Jackson. Uh, At least him. Uh, But, you know, maybe not each other. Or maybe uh, Carter's uh, messages have gone unanswered. Anybody? <laughs> Jackson is very good at reaching out to you. So if if you're like me, Troy, and not good at staying in contact with people, Jackson is the friend you wish you had because he sends you letters all the time, updates on his journeys, what he's doing, and and always asking about what you're doing. He feels a deep bond with you, and whether or not you four have kept in touch, you feel that bond with each other as well. Maybe in the back of your head, you you wish there'd be a little reunion, even though it's it's kind of like that it reunion, you know. You're like, I don't know if I want to see those people. Uh, you're torn. Trauma bonding. <laughs> Trauma bonding with all your friends. Um, Jackson, meanwhile, has just continued to travel the globe, uh, just pursuing more weird and dangerous cults. Uh, he stayed in Peru for a long time afterwards, and he wrote a new book, um, which uh, was well received uh he left out a lot of the more uh the the kind of details that maybe normal society wouldn't uh, be able to accept um and he did not take carter's advice i was gonna say carter's there like day one just like did the book come in did the book come in and like opens it up and then just starts flipping through it and it's page by page the smile is is falling it seems like this is this is fucking non-fiction (laughs) But you do see that the uh, dedication is uh, to my good friends, God uh, damn it. Feruz, Margot, uh, Vaughn, and Carter. It's called The Hungry Dead. And uh, the jacket is like, uh, it's, a, it's a book that exposes the modern day survival, survival of a Peruvian and Bolivian death cult that started with the time of the, from the time of the conquistadors. So he just kind of went along with his original hunch and seemed to have left out the uh, cosmic details. He also spelled Carter's name wrong. <laughs> it's a K. K. It's a K. God. A K. Two R's. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It's Cotter, C O T T R. K O T T R. The whole time you thought it was Cotter tilling. So, eventually, four years pass. And it's early January 1925. And each of you, Germany, England, Massachusetts, receive a uh, radiogram from uh, our good friend, Jackson Elias. I'll direct you to roll 20 to uh, show you this telegram. Who would like to read it? And uh, remember, you can click the magnifying glass to pop it out on your screen. Mm -hmm. From the Worldwide Telegraph Service. Dated January 3rd. Ross? Very well. Um, yeah, um, and perhaps it even catches uh, Vaughn, like, looking through The Hungry Dead and filing it on his bookshelf right next to his copy of The Black Power. Yes. And um, <laughs> looking at uh, the ver- and his his uh, correspondence with, uh, with uh, Jackson. And then it, uh, it's like, knock, knock on the door, and a valet comes in, like, telegram for you, sir. And uh, <laughs> takes it, um... Have information concerning Carlisle Expedition Stop. Need reliable investigative team stop. Meet January 15, New York Stop. Jackson Elias. 
You all received that. Now, again, you've been in contact with him for a while. He's sent telegrams before. But this is the first time he's requested your presence in his hometown of New York. And last you knew, he was in Peru, he was in Bolivia, he was in England, he was all over the place. Like, he was always sending you missives, um, always very vague on what he was working on, but you get the sense that, like, he was always, he was on onto something really big. Um, he never mentioned the Carlisle expedition, except for here. Um, so I imagine you're all curious about this. It's early January... Can you make it to New York by the 15th? I'll say yes. No, <laughs> the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably can't. I'll uh, be on the soul. next dirigible across the Atlantic. <laughs> but wh- how do you feel? Do you feel like you would want to go there? Do you, is your connection strong enough that you would seek this out? Have you reached that point in this time between Peru and now where you're like, I, I need to do this. I need mm. to see him. I need to see the others. Yes. I think that, um, Vaughn, if you, if you look pa- like if the camera moves around past that bookshelf and see like a desk littered with, um, books about like Catholic mysticism and, uh, other sorts of mysticism and occultic stuff. And this will be what I will off-camera train for is occultic stuff. Like, and like, uh, and you can see as you look down books on like necromancy, like the paths of, of waking the dead and, and this kind of stuff where he's been like studying how this stuff actually works and correspondence between him and Elias. Like, um, how did these, how did these, um, uh, rituals actually work, old man? What, what, what exactly did the, did the natives of such and such a place do, do for such and such a purpose? And it, this has been like turning over in his mind at, um, all, all this time. So, yes, to go to go to the source, absolutely. Uh, that's a big trip for you. Uh, same for you, Margot. Uh, when you receive this, where where's your head at? I think she receives a telegram. She like comes home from something, and you see her walk into her room, maybe put a gun on the nightstand. Like she was just practicing it (laughs) and sees the telegram, reads it and just furiously starts packing, loading her suitcase with lots of film this time Um, (laughs) (laughs) and a gun. (laughs) Uh, Feyruz? Um, When Feyruz gets this, uh, this message... She's kind of shocked and has to read it a couple of times. And you see, like, her eyes kind of get water, but she's watery, but she stops herself from crying. And it's this, like, call to action for her because this is, this is her life's work and her life's purpose. She must find out. And she thought that she, she thought that this was a closed book for her that she'd never get to open again. And so, without telling anybody. I think she may she may be scribbling a note of like where she's off to and leaves it on her bed that's that she makes and packs as quickly as she can um, to head out and meet everyone. Easy drive. Do you uh, drive or do you take a train? Me? Uh, yeah. Uh, take a train. 
Okay. Yeah, so I don't leave my car somewhere. <laughs> right. Not in the streets of New York. Uh, <laughs> in this economy? <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Carter? Yeah, I think Carter, I think Myrtle has gone downhill in four years. Um, so maybe a little more nonverbal, maybe uh, in some sort of rickety wheelchair. She's a little less mobile. Still not dying. Uh, still not dying. <laughs> still not dying. But I think Carter, you know, when he like goes into town, I think, I think somewhere in, buried in this character sheet is like his uh, his place to get away was like the gentleman's club or whatever, just anywhere to like just get an escape. But I think he started over the four years. He's witnessed things, you know, either going around his old haunts from growing up or just you know seeing around the streets like someone getting mugged or somebody. You know, getting swindled. Maybe he sees Bart has moved on to another mark, right? And he knows, he sees himself in Bart. He knows what Bart's doing, and, but part of him is actually, like, wants to say something? Like, wants to actually out Bart? Where normally, before Lima and Peru and the whole thing, he would have just been, like, game-recognized game. Like, he's seeing, right. like, this morality thing is building up in him, but he hasn't done anything about it. Like, he's, he hasn't stopped the mugging. He hasn't stopped, he hasn't called Bart out, but it's eating at him. So I think he gets this telegram, and suddenly there's like a, a rekindling of like, maybe I can actually make a difference. As weird as that feels, oh, I'm gonna puke in my mouth, gross. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he, he pretty quickly starts packing. Um, I imagine all of you have at least heard of the Carlisle Expedition in passing. It was in the news, um, no matter where you were. Um, and, and all you remember when you see it come up in Jackson's telegram is that uh, this expedition uh, perished a few years ago somewhere in Africa. Uh, it sounds right up Jackson's alley. Obviously, it's something he would be uh, really interested in. Why he wants to talk to you about it, you don't know. Um those of you who have to travel by boat, uh, you, you have plenty of time uh, to uh, kind of dig into this, maybe grab some reading materials before you leave. I, I, do you guys want to just get to Jackson with all haste, or do you want to uh, do some diligence on this Carlisle expedition before you meet up with him, just to see what he might be cooking? Um, if there's any knowledge to be sought, <laughs> Feyruz would be trying to figure that out along the way. I think we learned our lesson from last time, just going into this fun expedition. And yeah. Yeah. Right. I think perhaps, uh, yeah, Vaughn like goes into one of the, like the gentleman's club to which he's a member in town and uh, starts asking around as well as looking in the papers and smoking getting, a pipe. Oh yeah. Very much so. <laughs> the, the mustache that was very like fashionable and small is much larger now. Yeah. <laughs> Carter like, doesn't look up shit. He got the telegram, saw it, and was like, Babe, I'm going to need a train ticket. First class. <laughs> 23, skidoo. <Yeah. laughs> uh, all right, so you're you're able then to uh, it's it's pretty easy to find information on this. It was in all of the papers. I'm going to show you a bunch of handouts here, um, and uh, they're all coming from the New York. Pilar uh, repost, but every newspaper that subscribes to Reuters has this identical wire copy about the expedition somewhere in its morgue file. So I imagine Margot is reading the German version, <clears throat> and uh, Vaughn, you're reading it from a, a different paper. Whereas, uh, well, Carter, you're not reading it. So, Favorus, you're just. I'm on Wikipedia. You're looking at your Wikipedia. <laughs> um, 
So I'll direct you to roll 20, and uh, we'll go through these one by one, because there's a lot of really interesting uh, things here. Um, Nora, go ahead and read the Big Apple Dateline. The Big Apple Dateline. Roger Carlyle, the playboy whom everybody knows or knows about, is quietly leaving New York tomorrow to check out the tombs of Egypt. You've seen the cute, uh, the cuties? You've seen the cuties Roger has found in the night spots. Who can doubt he'll dig up someone, er, something equally fabulous from the Egyptian sands? (laughs) I love the word, er. Who can dig up someone, er, something? I took the time to pause in my thinking. It's a science (laughs) debate. Here's another one. Uh, Kate, I'm going to let you read this one. Let's see. Carlisle yeah. Expedition embarks for London, led by the fabulously wealthy playboy Car- Roger Carlisle. The Carlisle Exhibition departed this morning for Southampton aboard the British steamship, the Imperial Standard. Contrary to earlier reports, the expedition will perform researches in London under the auspices, auspices, auspicious, auspicious of the Penhu Foundation before continuing to Egypt next month. Readers may recall the enormous party which Mr. Carlyle, now 24, gave at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel upon reaching his majority. Since then, scandals and indelicate behavior have become Carlyle's trademark, but he has never become tarnished in the eyes of the Manhattanites. Oh, fuck this guy, man. <laughs> Members of the expedition have been reluctant to reveal their purpose in Egypt. And then another, like, subheader, other exhibition members. Renowned Egyptologist Sir Aubrey Penhu is assistant leader of the team and in charge of es- excavations. Dr. Robert Houston, a fashionable Freudian psychologist, accompanies the expedition to pursue parallel researches into ancient pictographs. And Miss Hypatia Masters, linked in the past to Carlisle, hmm, will act as a photographer and arch- archivist. Mr. Jack Brady, intimate to, to Mr. Carlisle, accompanies the group as a general factotum. Additional members may be secured while in London. He's rolling deep. I love how you could be a fashionable Freudian psychologist. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all everyone's talking about. Very true. Yeah, I guess if they're friends with Carlisle, they must be like high mm-hmm. society in some way. And these are all... Is that uh, the Dr. Robert Huston? Wow. <laughs> Who are you wearing? Sometimes a cigar is of just the New a England Hustons? <laughs> uh, these are all, if you look at the dates, too, these are written uh, in the spring of 1919. These articles came out. Um, there's one uh, for Ross. Did I show mm-hmm. this one yet? This is uh, Carlisle Departs Egypt. Great. From the New York uh, Pillar, uh, Cairo. Uh, Sir Aubrey Penhugh, temporary spokesman for the Carlisle Expedition, indicated Thursday that leaders are taking ship to East Africa for a well-earned rest. Sir Aubrey debunked rumors that the expedition had discovered clues to the legendary wealth of the lost mines of King Solomon, maintaining that the party was going on safari in respite from our sandy labors. Dr. Roger Carlisle, wealthy New York leader of the expedition, was unavailable for comment, still suffering from his recent sunstroke. Discussing that unfortunate incident, local experts declared Egypt entirely too hot for Anglo-Saxons at this time of year, and suggested that the young American had not been well served by his democratic enthusiasm, rumored to have led him to personally wield pick and shovel. 
The shade. <laughs> the Saxons are above your Middle East. <laughs> mm-hmm. Entirely too hot for Anglo-Saxons. Oh, Brought to you by Melanin. <laughs> yes. Uh, Carter, I know you didn't read anything, but uh, you can read this one, Rob. Yeah, he was looking for the um, uh, crazy cat in the <laughs> back of the newspaper. <laughs> Ooh, where is he? And then accidentally saw this. Hello, darling. Uh, important is- visitors. Mombasa, Reuters. Leading members of an American archaeological expedition arrived here on holiday from digs in Egypt's Nile Valley. Our undersecretary, Mr. Royston Whittington, held a welcoming dinner for them at Collingswood House, where the wit of Sir Aubrey Penhue, expedition co-leader, was much in evidence. Accompanying Sir Aubrey are the youthful financier, Roger Carlyle, and medical doctor, Robert Houston, as well as sociolite, Miss Hypatia Masters. The party leaves inland today for Nairobi and hunting. You guys are going to have a lot of work to do just rereading these uh, These assholes. Sessions. All right. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Go back to Nora. Carlisle Expedition feared lost. Hmm. Oh, wait. Is this the, Mom- the Mombasa one, or did I just... Uh, yes. Important visitors? Okay. Uh, no, Carlisle Expedition feared lost. Oh, why am I... Oh, there it is. Yep. Okay. Carlisle Expedition feared lost. <laughs> Mombasa, Reuters. Upland police representatives today asked the public assistance concerning the possible disappearance of the Carlisle Expedition. No word of the party has been received in nearly two months. The group includes wealthy playboy Roger Carlisle, Carlisle and four other American citizens as well as Egyptologist Sir Aubrey Penhue of the United Kingdom. The expedition left Nairobi on August 3rd, ostensibly on safari, but rumor insisted that they are actually where they actually were after legendary biblical treasures. Treasures. Carlisle <laughs> and his party reportedly intended to explore the portions of the Great Rift Valley to the northwest of Nairobi. Curious. Uh, mm, a couple more indeed. here. Here's it's a, all too familiar. Here's one for... Kate, Erica Carlisle, arrives in wow. Africa. This is from March 11th of, I guess, this current... Or no, 1920, so it's still like the year prior. Mm-hmm. Um, Erica Carlisle arrives in Africa. In response to clues, Miss Erica Carlisle, sister to the American leader of the Lost Carlisle Exhibition, arrived in port today aboard the Egyptian vessel Fount of Life. Several Kikuyu villager reports recently have been received concerning the putative massacre of unnamed whites near the Aberdare Forest. Miss Carlyle declared her intention to find her brother regardless of the effort needed. She brought with her the nucleus of a large exhibition, detailing agents to coordinate supply and other activities with colony representatives. Miss Carlyle and the remainder of her party depart for Nairobi tomorrow. Her companion, Miss Victoria Post, indirectly emphasized Miss Carlyle's purposefulness by recounting the rigors of the voyage. <laughs> Man, just too Anglo for where they were going. <laughs> uh, here's a uh, twofer for uh, Ross. We're wrapping this up here. I will. Carlisle Massacre Confirmed Nairobi Reuters The massacre of the long-missing Carlisle expedition was confirmed today by the district police representatives Roger Carlisle, New York's rollicking playboy, is counted among the dead Authorities blame hostile Nandy tribesmen for the shocking murders Remains of at least two dozen expedition members and... 
Bearers are thought found in a remote region of the Aberdare Forest. Erica Carlyle, Roger Carlyle's sister and apparent heiress to the Carlyle family fortune, led the dangerous search for her brother and his party. She credited Kikuyu tribesmen for the discovery, though police actually found the site. Among other expedition members believed lost are Sir Aubrey Penhugh, noted Egyptologist, New York socialite Hypatia Masters, and Dr. Robert Houston. Many bearers are also reported dead. And one more here for Rob. Oh, shit. Ooh. This one, this guy's not as, this guy's not as advanced as the other. This, this, this dude was not happy to have to type this. It took him uh, an hour. Murderers hanged. Nairobi Reuters. Five Nandi tribesmen convicted ringleaders of the vicious Carlisle expedition massacre were executed this morning after a short, expertly conducted trial. To the end, the tribesmen steadfastly refused to reveal why they had slaughtered Mr. Carlyle and his companions. Mr. Harvis, acting for the colony, cleverly implied throughout the trial that the massacre was racial in motivation and that the fair-skinned victims were subject to the most savage treatment, preventing all but the most preliminary identification of the remains. Miss Erica Carlyle, defeated in her efforts to rescue her brother, left several weeks ago, but is surely comforted now by the triumph of justice. So it paints a very interesting picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, The more you read about it, uh, yeah, Jackson would be interested in this, but why would he want to bring you guys all the way out to New York? Mm -hmm. What could he be interested in, and why does it need to involve you? You've got this young, hotshot, millionaire playboy that decides to go on an expedition to Egypt. He embarks for London, uh, funded by a a, a thing called the Penhue Foundation, and there is a renowned Egyptologist, Sir Aubrey Penhue, must be connected, uh, involved along with some other people. Um, From England, they embark for Egypt, It seems at a certain point they decided to take a safari uh, to Africa, and they were massacred uh, by Nandi tribesmen who were then hanged for their murder. His sister went out there to try and figure out what the hell was going on, um, and it seems like she found the answer. So you're reading all these things and digesting them and trying to figure out not only what this is all about and why you're needed, but why you decided to come. What is it in you that made you want to do this? Now we see lights come up on a busy street in New York. Cars honking, pedestrians jaywalking through traffic, and a lower third comes on the screen and says... New York City, January 15th, 1925. Maybe we hear Jackson Elias's voice as we pop through all these city scenes. You know, 
You've come here, some via boat, some via train, some via car. You've settled in. You've found accommodations somewhere in the city. If you've got a lot of money, you can maybe stay at a nice hotel. If you don't, you can stay at a shittier hotel. Maybe a friend's family you stay with. We can figure that all out. But at some point today, once you got settled in, or if you were settled in earlier, it's still you all received a call from Jackson today. And so we hear his voice, and he says basically the same thing to all of you. Um, and he's like, uh, I, I didn't want to write the the address, my address, in, in the telegram that I sent you. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to meet me at the Hotel Chelsea on 23rd Street between 7th and 8th Avenue tonight at 8 p.m. I'm in room 410. And he sounded very anxious on the phone, perhaps even frightened. And this is uncharacteristic of the Elias you knew in Peru and the man that you've gotten to know over the past four years. He gives out no further information over the phone. And, and if you start to question him or, or ask him anything else, or, or if you say nothing, the call ends abruptly. So I imagine each of you head to the hotel for the 8 o'clock appointment with Jackson. For sure. Yeah. Very much so. Taxi? Taxi? Uh, I do that whistle where you put your the fourth, your thumb and your pointer finger in your mouth <laughs> that I can't do in real life. <laughs> um, the Hotel Chelsea is still around today. Uh, it's one of the really cool things about... Uh, Call of Cthulhu, like a lot of the, I mean, they put so much research into uh, keeping it historically accurate and using things from history. Uh, sometimes people from history uh, appear, uh, both fictional and nonfiction. Uh, but the Hotel Chelsea is is still there today. Uh, it is on West Twenty Third between Seventh and Eighth, uh, and you all roll up uh, to this twelve story red brick edifice. I can picture it right now. Magnificent magnificent staircase inside. It was built as an apartment building in 1884 and then reopened as a hotel in 1905. Uh, a lot of cool history uh, for any of you history nerds out there about stuff that's gone down in the Hotel Chelsea, mostly like lots of murders and deaths. Uh, Weird. Yeah. Uh, at this time, there's a significant number of the guests are still long-term residents, but it's uh, based on the area. It's a very popular hotel with artists, writers, musicians, and so it has sort of a bohemian reputation. It would make sense that maybe this is where Jackson lives. Um, you, you, when you when you got to know him in Peru, he, he said he never really uh, bought a place of his own. Uh, he kind of bounced around a lot. So maybe this is where he stays whenever he's in New York. He travels a lot. Um, maybe this is the closest thing he has to a home now. Um, also, you know, just to get into the the, the racial stuff uh, of the time, a lot of hotels wouldn't allow African Americans to stay there, but the Hotel Chelsea historically uh, would, so it also makes sense he would stay there, which is also cool. So anyways, say you all meet in the lobby and then head up. You go up the stairs and then once again not unlike what we saw at the beginning. There is a dimly lit corridor. 
a long hallway with a single door at the end. The footfalls that we heard when we saw this scene play out eight episodes ago, we hear again, and it's the footfalls of Carter, Feruz, Margot, and Vaughn walking down this hallway. And as a door comes into focus, it says, four, ten. And we'll see you next week. Nice. Next week. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit GlassCannonNetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at Patreon.com slash GlassCannon.